0: Praise the Lord. Did anybody have anything during worship that you saw or wanted to share? All right. Okay, I had one little thing. Just as we were starting out to worship, uh, just the Psalm 34 3 came to mind. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, and Psalm 34 starts out with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Right? And that's what we're longing to do. We come together here so that we can magnify the Lord together and exalt his name. Yeah. Praise God. And we get to do that every Shabbat and on all of God's appointed times. Times we gather together, even when it's not on Shabbat, you know? And uh, just the fellowship we have as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, Earlier, Uh, David mentioned that he had heard uh, someone say that in every breath there's a hallelujah. And when you think on that, it's like in every breath there's a chance to encounter the Lord and to exalt Him and magnify His name. Every breath is a blessing. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Okay, let's go to Psalm 119. Then we are on section Tav this week. We're wrapping up Psalm 119 again, and we'll start back again at Aleph next week. And we read a section of Psalm 119 every week to declare the beauty of God's Torah and to align our hearts with it. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplications come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have come chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your Torah is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your ordinance help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. You know, the the last verse there in Psalm 119 said, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. And this is one of those weeks where uh, Psalm 119 lines up with, with our overall message today. So that's pretty cool. Thinking about how... The Lord seeks out His lost sheep who've gone astray. He seeks His servants, and He calls us not to forget His commandments. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love and goodness. We thank You for Your compassion and Your mercy. We thank You that You do seek and save the lost. Lord, we ask for an encounter with You this morning. We ask for You to speak to us by Your Spirit and direct our footsteps. And Lord, may you send forth your restoration in this time. We give you glory and thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right, so this week we are in Parashah Kitetzi, which is when you go out and it starts in Deuteronomy 21. This portion, if I have the numbers correctly, has over 70 commandments in it. A lot of commandments for, for one portion. So I was thinking maybe we would just go through each one. One no, not today. <laughs> not, not in this amount of time, right? Um, but there is there's so much to glean from from this week's portion. But we're gonna really just hit on a a few of them. And so this morning I was sitting down to put the the scriptures into our program so they would show up. Behind me, and Michael was like, "Hey, can can I see your notes?" I was like, "Man, my notes are a mess. I don't even know if I can read from them." Uh, and so, but anyway, he he saw the the first thing that I was putting in. He's like, "Oh, the wayward and rebellious son. That's that's a great, that's a great uh, part." And then uh, he said, "And then it flows right into um, Yeshua, who who died for us. Died for the rebellious son. You know, the one who was hung." And uh, I said, well, well, thanks, there you go, you got the whole sermon, you, you can go home now. And, and he's like, okay, but can I leave my kids in, in, the, in the class? <laughs> so anyway, but he's still here, and uh, this just goes to teach you that anything you say can and will be used against you, <laughs> but, but uh, only with permission. I did ask Michael just a moment ago. <laughs> so But anyway, that, that is a lot of the message today. You know, is truthfully the idea that we like sheep have gone astray and yet the Lord has sought us out through love and compassion and has sent his son that we might be redeemed, that we could have life and live for him. And so I'm gonna start with the wayward and rebellious son and I think you know where we're going with this. So, all right, so we're gonna go to Deuteronomy 21 Verses 18 through 23, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this, is our, this our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is, a, is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance." Okay, so you read this passage and your hair is probably blown back of, oh my goodness, that is horrible. The idea of a parent taking their child before the court and saying, this is a stubborn, disobedient, glutton, and drunkard, bringing them before the courts to be judged and killed if found guilty. This is often a passage that is referred to by and by people who uh, speak negatively about the Torah, about the commandments of the Old Testament. You know, um, I, think there's, I think there's an example that was like in a Dr. Laura column a long time ago, it's some kind of write-in editorial deal where they say, well, you know, if the Old Testament still stands, then you know, how do I make my sacrifices? You know, what about bringing my son to be killed and all these other things, you know? And they go through, but it's a, this is one of the passages that the sages say has never been carried out, nor will it ever be carried out. Um, and so it, it's not, uh, it's, it's worked down into a very narrow range of what could apply for the child to be brought. Like, for example, they have to be a teenager, they have to be a glutton and a drunkard, and then still have to be in their father's home. There's multiple things that would go into it. Um, but the, the intent is not that this would happen, but rather to, I mean, essentially the, the essence of it would be for parents to be aware that they've got to raise up their children in the way that they should go, such that they don't become a disobedient child, a drunken or a, or a, a drunkard or a glutton and you know when when you do read the passage's parents sometimes you might have sympathy with the person who brought their child before the judge this child will not listen no but <laughs> <laughs> frustration can run high from time to time but that's when we gain, regain control right <laughs> but um anyway but the the idea here and well and the image here that we we pull from this is that the rebellious Son is us, right? The rebellious son is, the, is us who have rebelled against the Lord and who have not followed His ways, who have succumbed to sin. And because we have succumbed to sin, we now are due the wages of sin, which is death, right? And, and this is a picture of judgment, right? You're brought before the judge, the judge says you are guilty, and then the penalty is death. Right, and so within uh, Galatians three twenty-two, Paul says, the scripture has imprisoned everything under it so that the promise by faith in Yeshua HaMashiach may be given to those who believe, right? So he's talking there about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so everyone is subject to the penalty of death, but it's through the promise and faith in Yeshua life may be given. And here we are right now. We're in our forty days of repentance, leading up to Yom Kippur. We're also in the still in the seven weeks of consolation that go from uh, the Ninth of Av, the, the uh, remembrance of the destruction of the temple, up to Rosh Hashanah. And we've talked as well about right now the king is in the field, right? So what we have here is we have a neat combination of people who are in need of a Savior, who are in need of mercy and compassion. And the king has come into the field during a time of repentance and a time when he's bringing consolation and hope restored to those who've lost hope, to those who have wandered from the way, right? And in Romans 2, 4, Paul reminds us that it's the kindness of God that's intended to lead us to repentance. Right? I've always quoted that as it's the, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. But I saw in, uh, some translations that say well, it's, the, the, it's really a call of, hey, do you take lightly the grace of God and the kindnesses that he's shown you such that you don't realize that the kindness of God is intended to lead us to Repentance. Not to endorse our behavior, but the the intent is to lead us to repentance, right? And and so that's where we are. We're in a time where we're receiving consolation. We're receiving a nearness of our master, and its intent is to draw us to repentance so that these 40 days of repentance are fruitful and bring forth a change of heart such that we're ready to enter into the new year in a new way with a new hope. And as we're reading each week from the book of Isaiah, I want to go to Isaiah 54 and and read our our passage, our haftarah for this week. It says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations, and will will possess the nations and, I don't know, and will people the desolate cities. Okay, for some reason that's not clicking with me, but fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded. For you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood, you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Right, so from a place of exile, the Lord is saying that there is yet hope and that He is going to draw His children back to Him in compassion and in love and in steadfast loyalty. Right, and here at the end, in this final verse, He says, My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Now, that word compassion is Raham. okay? It can mean love, compassion, mercy. So, I mean, he's who has this loyal love, this compassion, and this mercy toward you, right? And another aspect of the word racham, um, in Hebrew, when the, the, uh, the text is written, it doesn't have to be written with the vowels. It can just be written with the consonants, okay? And so, this combination of resh, Het mem can be what I'm saying here now, the verb of to be compassionate, to be merciful or to, to love, but it also in the noun form it's rechem, which means womb. Okay? And so if you think about how a mother loves her child and can never forget the child of her womb, and you think about God's compassion and his mercy and his love. It's like that of a mother to her child, which, uh, I don't know, you read stories about people who've gone wrong in life and their moms say he was a good boy, you know, or she was a good good daughter because that love is so deep, right? And that's the love. That's a picture of the love that God has for us. That he has for those who've strayed, who've turned away or fallen, and he's calling out and saying, no, 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 you think it's over, that things are desolate. But no, I want you to broaden your pegs. I want you to widen your tent because where you've seen loss, I'm going to bring restoration beyond what you even could have imagined. Right? So the Lord goes out to seek and save the lost. In Ezekiel 34 11 through 16. I'm going to read a lot from Ezekiel 34. As I read it, I'll maybe highlight a few things. But the primary thing is listen to the words of compassion and hope that the Lord is laying before his people. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them to lie down, declares the Lord God. Do you hear Psalm 23 in this? And I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. In justice. I will rescue my flock. And I'm sorry, I've skipped forward to Ezekiel 34, 22 through 31. And in this, I'm going to uh, skip over segments. So this is a, not a straight reading from the text. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke, and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. He has good intentions and good plans, right? So last week we talked about Yeshua being the Torah, right, the living Torah, and that as king, he will, his Torah will go forth among all the nations. Now, when we think about what the Torah is, right, the Torah are, is the instructions or the teaching of God that is given to man, right, as part of the covenant, and as part of it, it's our obligation and responsibility to, to walk within his teachings, within his instructions to safeguard the relationship and his instructions are intended to teach us what the way of righteousness is so that we might walk with him and become like him right? And, and the instructions they give us instructions on how to how we relate with God and how we relate with each other. Okay? Now Paul says, that the Messiah is the end of the Torah, right? Which is often misunderstood, right? That Messiah is something that ends the Torah, like concludes it, as opposed to being a goal for it. The Greek word actually implies something that is uh, directional, like uh, has within it connotations of the word tele, like, so like telephone, it's spanning across, it's connecting things. It's going to a destination, like teleport carrying something. Okay? So the Torah it connects you with and brings you to Messiah. So when we were, if we look at Romans 10, one through four, Paul says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, speaking of, of the Jews. Is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Right? It almost sounds like he's saying uh, Messiah is the end of the law because he is righteousness, and so therefore that's all the righteousness that the world needs right? But really, Messiah is the goal of the Torah for building up righteousness for everyone who believes, okay? So, it's by the righteousness of Yeshua that we're made right with with God, and then it's through the righteousness revealed by Yeshua and revealed through the Torah that we then walk in righteousness, all who believe, becoming more and more like Yeshua, who was perfect righteousness. I hope that wasn't just a jumble there. But um, the idea is that Yeshua is the goal of the Torah. He is the Torah made flesh, the perfect example of what the Torah is to bring about in us. In Luke 6.40, the scriptures say, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. So that's talking about us as we learn from Yeshua, as we learn from what's revealed in the Torah, as we learn from one another and walk together. We will become more and more like our master and our perfect example. Okay, but along the way, we go astray. And God extends mercy, of course, through the sending of his son. The very fact that Yeshua, the living Torah, was sent was a mercy and a compassion on God's people to call them back to himself. So Yeshua being the living Torah is the embodiment of the commands of God and his instruction. And if he being given to us is a mercy then actually the Torah being given through Moses was a mercy. That's kind of hard to wrap our minds around, right? So the Torah given through Moses was a mercy to the people, even though, you know, through a violation of the Torah, through sin, the penalty is death. But the violation of, of God's ways had already occurred even outside of the Torah given to Moses. It goes all the way back to Adam with the Torah, the instruction given to, to Adam in the garden, right? He strayed from that, and the wages of that straying from, from the commands was, was death, right? But, but we have, we have this, this Torah given to us as a mercy. We have it revealed through Yeshua And that revelation was to call us to God. When we go about what we do here at Emmaus Road, right, of teaching the Torah, of walking it out, of sharing faith together, our goal is not the Torah. Even though the Torah is key and important, to what we do, right? Our goal is to be like Messiah and to encounter Him, right? If we don't have a faith that is focused and centered on Yeshua as our Savior and as the Son of God, the one who reveals the Father, then we're missing the key part. If we, yeah, if we don't have Him at the center, then we are missing the most fundamental part of the kingdom, And, and Diego was talking some about this on, on Thursday. I found it really interesting that he opened up our uh, Torah discussion with the idea about, hey, look, the reason why we're coming to do all this is to find Yeshua, you know. And, and that I was, that was, it had already been placed on my heart to talk about this week, that that's, that's the reason we're here is to encounter him. And we get a fuller representation and experience of who he is when we encounter him through the words of Torah, through the, the culture and the practices that he walked in because then we understand him better, okay? And that's our, that's our goal is to know him more because he's a revelation of the Father. No one has seen the Father except the Son but the Son has revealed the Father to you, right? And we're grateful for this revelation that we've been given through both the Word and by the Spirit. Because it's by the Spirit that we walk. It's by the Spirit we walk. But the Spirit leads us into truth, and His truth is all of Scripture. Now think about this too. So when we read Yeshua's words and the Gospels, right, and when we read about His life and what He spoke, are His words Torah? Yeah. Yeah. His words are Torah, right? Because he actually he says somewhere. What's in John? <laughs> in uh, in in John, um, let me see if I got my notes here on it. John twelve forty four. Thank you. Yeshua cried out and said, "He who believes in me and does not what." Well, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Right? So the words of Yeshua are words from the Father. And just as the words of the Father were communicated through Moses, They were communicated through Yeshua. Right? And if we think about Yeshua as being the latter redeemer, the one who is like Moses but greater. Right? He does the things that Moses did, but he does them even better and even to a greater degree. Then you think about the words that come are coming forth from his life are imbued his words that come forth are imbued with life. And within the scriptures, Paul affirms it and and it's stated throughout the Torah that, you know, when we live by the words of God, when we, when we carry out the words of God, we will live by them. Right? That's stated in the Torah, the prophets, uh, the epistles. And so in Yeshua's words, as he says here, our life. And he has spoken what the Father has revealed. And so whether we're studying the first five books of the Bible in that Torah, or we're looking at the Gospels and looking at the life of Yeshua, right? We're studying Torah. We're studying the life of the living Torah and studying the words of the living Torah. It's pretty cool. But that, that's one of the things. We're always to be leading people to Yeshua so they might find life. And then from the place of having life and reconciliation, then then we begin to learn how then are we to walk, right? Um, when we go back to what happened to the children of Israel in Egypt. God redeemed His children with a mighty, with His mighty right hand and great signs and wonders and He brought them out. He redeemed them from slavery. He broke every yoke and the bondage that they had and He took them as a nation And he brought them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, he entered into a covenant with them and revealed his Torah and said, you're my people. And these are the ways that you're to walk in. They said, yes, we will do everything that the Lord commands. Right? The order matters. The redeemed were brought to the Lord and brought into covenant with him and given the way to walk and given a greater revelation of who he is. So even as we minister, the first thing we minister is the love of Yeshua, right? Because that's the center. That's the focus. And now the Torah, that's going to help us to come to know him even better. So we have to get this right. We have to get it right in our mind and in our practice and how we love our neighbor and encounter one another. This is how God has treated us. Everybody here has a story of how they came to know Yeshua, right? And it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance. It was the kindness of God. It wasn't the, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. It was, I love you, come. From all the four corners, no matter what, come. So in talking about the work of Yeshua, Yeshua, He came into a place of darkness, where people were in great need. And in love he gave himself, right? And in our scriptures that we read before, in Deuteronomy 21, verse 22, right immediately after talking about the wayward and rebellious, child. The scripture says, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Okay, so what happens is that rather receiving the death that we're due, Yeshua himself took our place. And not through Torah law was he hung on a cross, because crucifixions were not part of the Torah. That was a Roman practice, right? And here in the scriptures you see that they they must be taken down before before the sun sets, whereas in Roman crucifixion they could leave them on, on the cross, well, kind of forever if they wanted to. It could be great, great periods of time as a sign to other people of don't do what they did, right? But, but here in the scripture, the way that this was done is if someone received the death penalty, they were, they were stoned, okay, which killed the person, and then they would be hung up on a tree. The hanging would be by the hands, okay? And they would only be hung momentarily and taken right back down. So the practice was to delay the judgment and the sentence until late in the day, carry out the sentence of stoning, and then hang them momentarily on a tree and take them right back down and bury them as the sun was setting. So the practice was not the kind of hanging that we think about today. We think of hanging as, okay, you got a rope around the neck, or you think about the cross, but that wasn't, that wasn't the way that it was done uh, in Israel. Okay, but even still, the one who had committed a sin worthy of death, death um, is hung on the tree, and, and the Scripture says that one hung on a tree is accursed of God, okay? And there's a lot of discussion about well, what is this, you know, the aspect of one accursed of God. And the scripture can be read to say that it's not the person that is accursed, but that God is grieved with what has happened. It's interesting. I mean, it can be read both ways with the aspect of, the one hung is, is a curse, but then also that God is grieved at the transgressor and the pain and the the suffering of death, right? Like that, he his heart is one of restoration. Now, Paul. Okay, we're going to go to um, Galatians three. I believe it's verse ten. Just to to read what what Paul had actually said about this, about Yeshua being the one who is hung, is referring back to that scripture. Paul says in Galatians 3, 10 through 14, For as many are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Yeshua HaMashiach, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, so this passage is loaded with information, and you know, we we can't do justice to to all that is um, in this in such a short time. We probably ought to talk about this over multiple weeks, but if we go back and say, okay, He starts out with, as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse because they don't perform all of the commands, right? They sin, therefore they're under the curse of the law, which is death, okay? Um, He's talking about how Yeshua becomes the curse, taking the place of the curse for us. Right? Because he lived perfectly righteous, but yet he was hung, in place of the sinner who should be hung. That has redeemed us from death forever, such that we might have life forever. Okay. Now, when Paul is talking about as many are, as are of the works of the law, he's he's in the middle of a discussion. If you call it a discussion he 's railing on the believers in Galatia <laughs> because there are competing ideas of what it actually takes to be saved, okay We see in Acts ten the spirit coming upon Gentiles who believe who have not made a legal uh, have, have not made a, a legal conversion to become legally Jewish, right? Rather, by the Spirit, they've rec- or by faith, they've received the Spirit. And now the people in Galatia, too, through hearing the word and the testimony about Yeshua, have believed in God through him, and by that faith, they've been saved, because that's what Yeshua opened up, right? was the ability for many, for the nations to be grafted into the faith of Abraham, through faith as opposed to as opposed to being through legal status as a Jew but in galatia there are believers in yeshua who are gentiles and they've got a question of well how does this thing work and some are telling them you need you must become you must become legally jewish in order to be saved but paul is saying No, you don't have to become legally Jewish to be saved because you're saved by faith, okay? And he's saying that everyone, Jew and Gentile, has been put in hold under under sin, which is Galatians 3.22, um, which is somewhere in here too. But it talks about how all are, are held up under sin according to the scripture, whether Jew or Gentile. And he says, so if the Gentiles who have become members of the community through faith think that what they need to do is to become legally Jewish in order to be saved, then they think, then, then the right reasoning is keeping of the Torah will save you. But no one can keep the Torah perfectly except the perfect son, Yeshua. So it's of no benefit from the aspect of eternal salvation. Right, Everyone is under the curse of sin. And the, the way out is by faith in Yeshua. Okay, And so through this, through Yeshua's faithfulness, through what he offered up, now the door is open to all by faith to come into the faith of Abraham and to become inheritors of the promise given to him. There's... Um, Galatians 3 verses 8 through 9 says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now what's interesting in this This word "blessed" in Hebrew is "venivrehu," but it's connected, and I don't know the full extent of this. But the teachings are that it's it's connected to the word mavrich, which is often used when it's talking about the grafting of plants. Okay, so like the the form "venivrehu" is uncommonly, it's, it's uncommon in the Torah. It's not a common translation of the word blessed. Or it's not, a, it's not a common form of the word blessed. And there was a rabbi who lived in the first or second century. And apparently he is, is uh, one of the most quoted rabbis in the Mishnah. And he actually stated at one point that he enjoyed hearing the teachings of uh, believers in Yeshua, interestingly enough. Well, he, he has uh, some things that he said about this connection with the word blessed and the word engrafted. And he, trans- and he said, here, I'll say this. Rabbi Eleazar said, What is the meaning of that which is written, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed? From Genesis 12.3. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to Abraham, I have two good shoots to graft onto you. Ruth the Moabite, the ancestress of the house of David, and Naima the Ammonite, whose marriage with Solomon led to the ensuing dynasty of the kings of Judea. All the families of the earth means even families that live in the earth, i.e., who have a land of their own, are blessed only due to the Jewish people. Similarly, when the verse states, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, it indicates that even ships that come from Galia to Hispania are blessed only due to the Jewish people. Okay, so he's talking about Ruth and uh, Neymah being grafted into the community, right, but into Abraham. And also within a further part of his teachings, he likened his converts to branches who were removed from trees of the nations and grafted into the tree of Abraham's faith. So if you think about that picture being taught, it should bring us back to Romans 11, where Paul talks about how God broke off some natural branches and grafted in foreign branches, right, into the tree of faith. It's kind of the same thing, and all the nations of the earth will be engrafted into, into Abraham, kind of get this whole working of what was taking place, where God's plan from the beginning, the gospel preached to Abraham, was the engrafting of the nations, all the nations being blessed through him and his seed. And we know that his seed is Yeshua the Messiah. right? So Yeshua comes to seek and to save those who are lost. Both of the, he came to seek out the lost of Israel, and then through his death and resurrection, he opened the door to all the nations coming in and being sought after to be brought in and grafted into the tree of faith and into the faith of Abraham. So it's a really cool picture of how that door has been opened. So we have the we have no end really. I mean from what it appears there's really no length to which God doesn't go to seek out those who've been lost and to to draw them back to himself. And as as we think about the implications for us, of course, we have such gratitude to God and to Yeshua for what they've done to seek out and to bring restoration, to bring hope and redemption. And in it, too, we think about, well, what then are we to do? And we think about our responsibility to God, but we think about our responsibility to one another as well. Right, And I'm reminded of uh, Luke 10 with the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And you have the person come to Yeshua and ask, you know, what must I do? And, and Yeshua says, actually, I'm going to go ahead and jump there real fast. In Luke 10... It says, a certain Luke, Luke 10, 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Yeshua said to him, what is, what is written in the Torah? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Yeshua said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And it says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Yeshua, and who is my neighbor? And Yeshua then goes in to tell the story of the good Samaritan, of the, the person who's beat up to near death on the road. And the, the priest passes by, the Levite pass, passes by, and then the Samaritan comes by and takes care of the man. And he asks, Yeshua ends up asking the man, well, who was the neighbor? You know, and the lawyer replies, well, the one who show, showed mercy toward him. Yeshua said go and do the same. Right? Paul at one point says that loving your neighbor sums up the whole Torah. Right? Yeshua said that you know, loving God and loving your neighbor sums it all up. But it was often stated that everything really kind of comes down to loving your neighbor. Of course, you're going to love God too. Through loving your neighbor, you love God and you show him love. But in reading this, there's a lot of assumptions that go into this story, a lot of assumptions about the people involved, right? So when I, when I start to read this in this translation, I see a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. I'm like, ooh, he's putting him to the test. This must not be a good lawyer, or this must be a bad guy, because here he is, he's putting... Yeshua to the test. Maybe he's trying to trip him up. You know, so now I've got my mind against the lawyer. He's a bad dude, right? And, and Yeshua says, you know, hey, what do you know? And, and the guy answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, whoa, he just said what Yeshua said. You know, did he hear that from Yeshua or did he hear some teachings from the other sages and he's grasped on to what's good and right? Okay, this sounds good. And then Yeshua says, do that and you'll live. Okay? And Yeshua's telling the truth here. He's saying, do those things and you will have life because you're walking in faith toward God, loving him and loving your neighbor. There's life in that. And then it says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Yeshua, and who is my neighbor? Now I read that again. It's like, ooh, he's trying to justify himself. Look at this self-righteous dude. <laughs> but you know what? It's not that wishing to justify himself. You know what that, that justify is? It can be seeking to do what is right. We had a, 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 some comments made on, on that in our Torah study on, on Thursday night of like, well, I want to do what's right. I want to know. It could be like, oh, you self-righteous trying to justify yourself by trying to do what's right. Or is it, no, I want to align myself with God and with what his heart is and what his desire is. That's what this lawyer is saying, but seeking to justify himself. I would rather it translated, but wishing to rightly align himself. He said to Yeshua, who's my neighbor? So I can go and love my neighbor like you're telling me to do, because I want to live unto God. The idea of asking a question while having an answer, like I already have an answer to my question, but if I were to ask someone who is more knowledgeable than me, he might give me a broader idea of what I already know. Does that make sense? Or he will might expand what yep. I might already know. Or he might bring further understanding of what I already know. So in that sense, uh, I will seek to justify myself. I will seek to find more truth in what I already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right. And and uh, And so, So with this, it's like, okay, well, what am I coming into this with? What's my mindset? What's my perception of these people? Am I actually giving the benefit of the doubt? Am I looking to what is their heart? Or do I have my mind made up and I've already prejudged everything and I'm going to read it according to my prejudgment, right? Let me come in with fresh eyes. And then, of course, we read about the the priest who walks by and the Levite who walks by. It's like, those wicked priests and Levites. How could they? You know? And then you have the Samaritan who does good. Well, with this aspect, they're on a road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Okay, and here's a man dying on the road. If the priest and the Levites are headed to Jerusalem, they're headed to Jerusalem for service to God and to encounter God in the temple. If they stop and take care of a dying man who dies, then now they're, they're contaminated by death and can't go up and serve in the temple or perform their their obligations to God for a week. So they may actually miss their, their cycle of duty that they're supposed to go perform, right? So what's the intention of their heart? Did we prejudge them as those who are just wicked and don't care about their brother? Or was it possible that they were seeking to honor God and do what he had called them to do, which was to come minister in the temple, and that's why they passed by right? And so, have we prejudged them? Or are we actually saying, wait, there's actually a reason that they would pass by. Now, I, I believe Yeshua's message about the, the one who was the brother was the Samaritan, right? Even the one who you think's your enemy, that's your, that's your neighbor. I, I think embedded within the story, there's also the message of the preservation of life trumps the other commands. Right? And so the priest and the Levite, while knowing that their service to God was important, could have taken pause and said, you know what, the preservation of this man's life is greater and, and I can stop and take care of this person. P- putting life above the other commands. Right, So I'm not saying I'm letting them off scot-free, but rather we don't know what the intention of their heart was and their motivation because they, they could have very pure-heartedly been doing that. Of course, this is just a parable, but still, good things to think on of how do we judge? What are our perceptions? And and then how does that then form our behavior and our attitudes towards one another, right? And does it affect our ability to love one another and even to represent the Jewish people, the priests, or Yeshua rightly? A couple weeks ago, we talked about how important it is for us to represent Yeshua rightly. And to uphold his character and his nature, and to present him as the faithful Jew that he was. You know, so that people really come to know who their Messiah is to a greater depth, right? And and I want to circle all the way back to where, where we kind of started about the rebellious son, right? There's a reason to why things are ordered the way they are in the scripture, it's not always clear why it may be. But in Deuteronomy 22, I believe, verse 1, there it is. Right after the story of the rebellious son and then the one hanging comes to this. You shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. Okay, so there's a command to bring the straying thing back to its owner. And in this case, it's talking about an animal that's that's strayed and is away from its owner. But if you think about a greater scale and about those who've strayed from their master, who've strayed from Yeshua or who've strayed from God, we can take this and say, we're, we're commanded to bring the, the strayed thing back, the thing that is lost back to the master. The master is going to seek out the, the strayed and the lost to bring them back to himself. And he can do that through many avenues. One of them is you. Right? And so when you see someone straying on the way, you return him back to his master. Right? When you see Yeshua not represented rightly, you can represent him rightly to return his lost identity to him, right? All these aspects are aspects of restoration. All these are aspects of restoring that which was lost back to God. That all may come before him and receive of his mercy. Because that's what he's calling out from as we read in the very beginning. And in Isaiah 54 too, The scripture says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. This is the expectation that we're to have for the great work that God is going to do in the world, in the nation, in Emmaus Road, right? in our families. God's going to do the work. And he's calling us to walk with him to do it. And he's given us what we need, giving us this renewal and this hope and the promises of the faith and the great work of Yeshua. Lord, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy, your kindness. We thank you for your compassion, Lord. We thank you that though trial may come, though difficulties may come, Lord, you give us hope and that you bring restoration. We thank you, Lord, that you yourself will seek and save the lost and that you've sent your son to do that. And then you have appointed us as ambassadors of the message of the good news of the kingdom, that your kingdom may spread, Lord. Strengthen us, guide us, and draw us close to you and keep us ever focused on Yeshua, Lord, that we might be like him. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.